Hey everyone, this is Lynn Bartim, and you are listening to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. In this show, you get more personal time with the guests who visit Southern Utah University from all over, learning more about their stories and opinions beyond their presentations on stage. We will also give you some new music to listen to and hope to turn you on to some new sounds and new genres. You can find us here every Thursday at 3 p.m. or on the web at seu.edu slash apex. But for now, welcome to this week's show here on Thunder 91.1. Awesome, awesome. Welcome in, everyone, to another Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. I am so excited to talk about today's event, as today's entire theme has been science. We got to see so many things today right in front of our eyes, from live experiments to live animals. But before we dive into that and I get to introduce you to my phenomenal guests, as you've probably noticed, things are a little bit different in the studio today. Our fearless leader and the producer of Apex Events, Lynn Vartan has been called away for another one of her passions, which is working with SUU's drumline and all of our phenomenal percussion majors. Because of this, I have the phenomenal privilege and opportunity of filling in. My name is Amelia Nauman, and I am a student right here at Southern Utah University. I've been working for Apex for this entire semester, and it has been such a whirlwind. But I have to say, today's event definitely takes the cake for most energetic. Now that I've introduced myself, I am so excited to introduce you to my my guests. And we are going to start with Jason. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, yes. Thank you so much for being here. All right, Jason, can you tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, and what you do for SUU? Sure. I am a professor in the geosciences department here at SUU. I've been here since 2014. I uh, teach a number of classes in geosciences, including natural hazards and disasters, one of my favorites, and a number of upper-level courses that involve uh, mineral chemistry, rock chemistry, and a bunch of field work because we're in southern Utah, and you have to be outside teaching geology in southern Utah. Oh, for sure. If I was a geology major, southern Utah is the place that I would want to be. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I am so excited to dive in a little bit more about that. But next up, Bertram, will you please introduce yourself? Okay, good afternoon. My name is Bertram Tsawatawa. I come from northeastern Arizona, a Hopi tribal member. And I am currently the one of the tour guides out there. My company names Ancient Pathways Tours. I also guide into the southwestern ancestral sites. Uh, maybe a list of my repertoire of titles now. I can put in there consulting because that's what I've been doing with the uh, Utah Humanities uh a program here, um, Humanities in the Wild. So it's been very interesting and in seeing other parts of Utah, the state of Utah. Oh, that's so great. And I know you have a massive resume, and I am so excited to dive more into your career and what you've done. But before that, our final guest, Willie, please introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be back at SUU. Um, my name is Willie Palomo. I am currently the program manager for the Center for the Book at Utah Humanities, which just means I run around the entire state doing book events, bringing storytellers like Bertram around, um, events with authors, and it's just a joy. 
Oh, and that is such a phenomenal program. And I'm so, so grateful that you're able to come back to SUU after all of your work with CDI and you were able to bring Bertram with you. Awesome, awesome. Now that we've gotten through all of our phenomenal guests, I would love to dive into a little bit more about what you do, Bertram. Um, Bertram had the opportunity to give just a really, really brief intro about some of the phenomenal things he's been involved with during our Apex event. And so I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about your background and what it was like growing up in Arizona and kind of your upbringing and how you have like come to be where you are today, especially with herbalism. Okay, a lot of my upbringing <clears throat> was with my grandparents and specifically with my grandmother. She probably was inadvertently already exposing me and teaching me about the plants, which were either medicinal or edible. And living in northeastern Arizona on the Hopi Reservation, I come from the village of Older Ivy. It's a very small village, but we do have collectively 12 villages within the area that's known as the Colorado Plateau in the Black Mesa region. And so coming from there, actually, you know, a Walmart or none of the other grocery stores are not nearby. You have to traverse either an hour's drive, say south of the villages will be Winslow, Arizona, or uh West of the Hopi Reservation, an hour and a half drive to Flagstaff uh, would be another area where there's more uh, multiple shops and other um, areas or a mall that's located there. So definitely there's traversing to go away from the villages just to, you know, go for grocery shops, shoppings or errands. Um, myself, I'm a self-taught artisan. I did a lot of the two-dimensional art. Crayola crayons were my first medium in second grade, but progressing up from there, got into mixed media, colored pencil, pen and ink. Um, then after graduating from high school, I attended the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and um, did study more of the finer points of uh, painting, which was acrylic oil painting, which I really like to do a lot of the <clears throat> layering of the complementary colors on there. Uh, got introduced to monotypes, lithography, uh, embossments during that particular time. But I actually majored in museum studies at that time. So I've seen a lot of museum collections there in Santa Fe, New Mexico, seen of the original carvings of the dolls of our Hopi people. And I just got inspired from those traditional forms. So I just, you know, started carving that just to show, you know, my fellow tribal members that these were the dolls originally how they looked prior to the realistic renditions that the modern contemporary counterparts, you know, <clears throat> concentrate on the carving and the anatomy of the realistic body proportions. So I jokingly refer to those modern contemporary counterparts as the proto-Michelangelo action figures. You know, you learn that through um, art appreciation and classes as well, you know, that you take, you know, as a core um, classes in, in, in art appreciation and art history. And so after attending from IAIA in Santa Fe, New Mexico, then went back to the reservation and there wasn't really much job opportunities, employment, even though a lot of the tribal members are artisans themselves as <clears throat> craftspeople, as potters, <clears throat> textile weavers, doll carvers, jewelry makers. Oh, yeah. And so... Just a different avenue. I chose maybe to be a guide, educate people and of their visit out to the Hopi villages, educate them about us as Hopi people. For sure. And when you take people on your tours and you like, what are some of the main points that you hit to educate them about the Hopi people? Uh, one of the main ones is, you know, like in the misconception or misinformation of 
the term Anazazi that's in archaeology um, that actually now is being replaced with ancestral Puebloan. So the Hopi people and the Pueblo cultures that reside in New Mexico, we are the modern descendants of our ancestors that constructed, say, the Chaco Canyon or Mesa Verde, Hovenweep, you know, just these general ancestral sites that are found through the southwestern states. And so that's just one that I educate, you know, because, you know, the term of Anazazi came from our neighbor's uh, language of the Navajo, of the Diné, that they uh, told the archaeologists and scholars, you know, it meant ancient ones. But, you know, now, you know, all the truths are coming out. So, yes, in archaeology, it's being switched of that term now to ancestral Puebloan. And then just generally, we do have a lot of these ancestral ties or histories, you know, that, again, tie in with geology. And so, like, say in the description that we give in the first world, you know, the cleansing or purification that occurred was all the volcanism that was occurring and happening. And so that's why you see all this evidence on the land of lava beds, dormant or active uh, volcanoes or straddle, you know, volcanoes as mountains. So, you know, my uh, travels coming here to Cedar City on the tops of the mountains, you know, yes, I always get fascinated to see the lava beds before descending down here into Cedar City. Yeah. Speaking of lava beds, I know Jason right here in the studio with us. That's something that he's really interested in. So, Jason, I would love any of your insights kind of about the local lava beds and some of the things that you've been able to study in our area, kind of like um, we've been talking about. Sure. Uh, What a great connection. That's a lot of the same stuff that brought me to Southern Utah. Um, That's the reason I got into geology to begin with, was studying volcanoes uh, really from all over the world. But uh, one of the reasons that I was very excited to join the faculty at SUU was uh, exactly what Bertram was just describing. Yeah. Um, So a a lot of what we see around here in Cedar City Mm -hmm. is a volcanic rock called basalt. Um, those are made of the typical lava flows that you would see, like for instance, in Hawaii. Ooh, so okay. the, yeah, the traditional lava flows that I think yeah. a lot of people would picture, uh, that's what built mm-hmm. a lot of the plateaus and is what is capping a lot of the plateaus in this area. And, uh, at the time that they were active, which was, uh, spanning maybe a thousand years ago to a little over a hundred thousand years ago. Wow. Uh, it would have been a much different landscape and it would have been, um, uh, a lot less, um, comprised of the, the vegetation and a lot more covered by the, the black rock that we see all over the place. Oh, wow. That is amazing. And is that something you get to go out with your students and like study actively in the field? Or is that not something you really get to see that often? Oh, of course. Yeah, (laughs) it's one of the advantages that we have here at SUU that we do get to study those rocks among a lot of the other diverse uh, geologic settings in in southern Utah. But yeah, we we get to talk about that in class. We get to show pictures and videos like any other university. But then we get to go see them in in person. And uh, the students really enjoy seeing the rocks up up close and personal but you learn a lot more from being out there hands-on experiences oh for sure field work is definitely the best thing to do no matter what area you're in well i think that is the perfect intro into our first song the apex hour features of course so many phenomenal points about education but we also hope to turn you on to some new sounds and just because we're talking about rocks i would like to play for you the rock song Get that going. This is KSUU Thunder 91.1. If I were not a rock, I'd be just a grain of sand. 
thrust aside by footsteps as they redistribute land. If I were not a rock, I'd be unable to stand. I'd be blown away like dust in Aristotle's hand. But as it is the wind and rain, erode my surface slowly. I would fill If I were not a mountain I'd be unable to stand still I'd be bulldozed in an instant While I watched my soil spill But as it is the highway workers Who's built their roads around me Cause I cannot be leveled Like the foothills that surround me Centuries while oceans wash away.
That was The Rock Song by the Dan Sheenan Conspiracy. And that is the perfect song to play because today has been all about science. Everything from geology to chemistry to physics and more. You're listening to the Apex Hour, and we will continue to talk to our guests more about their experiences here at SUU and what they are currently doing. So awesome. Next, I would like to get into more of what Willie and Bertram, more of your relationship and kind of how you found each other and um, why we have the utmost privilege of having having Bertram on our campus today. So Willie, what do you do for the state of Utah? We would love to hear a little bit more and get some details for our listeners. Yeah, so I'm the program manager for the Center for the Book at Utah Humanities. Basically, all that means is I run around all over the state in Utah from rural areas to more urban areas, um, places like Cedar City. And then we do events that um, encompass storytelling, books, and authors, um, which can get pretty flexible. So like in August, I did a cookbook event where we brought a uh, Danae, a woman who knew how to make blue corn mush, and we brought a tamal lady, and we had cookbooks that broke down a historical kind of connection between Native and Latinx communities through corn. Um, and we also do the traditional, like, hey, I got a book, I'm going to read <laughs> from it, and you can ask me some questions. Um, so that's kind of what I've been up to in general. And the way I got connected with Bertram is we started doing this program called Humanities in the Wild, which is super fun. Um, essentially, what it is is you go on a hike with two very smart people um, who are <laughs> going to be Bertram and Jason this afternoon. Um, and they tell you about allowing you to see deeper in what you're going to, right? Because if I look at a rock, I go... It's the color gray and it's a rock. <laughs> but when Jason looks at a rock, it gets a little bit more intense than that, right? Like I, you get to see beyond just the surface. And that's what the idea is, is we're always bringing a scientist and a humanist so that they can explain the history of the area. Some of the like cool things that they can tell us about like water or like the vegetation or things like that. that you know, an average person like me going into a hike, like I just see like a uh, stick. Uh, <laughs> like, I, you know, I don't know what's going on. Um, so that's the joy of this event um, is we get to go um, on some hikes and we get to learn about the history of where we come from and some of the science behind it. And today we're going to go to Rainbow Canyon to see some of the petroglyphs. It's a moderate hike, but it's only one mile. And we're going to have walkie talkies if folks want to move at their own pace. Um, but we're going to go up and see the petroglyphs and then see what Bertram can tell us about them. We visited them earlier this year, I want to say around June, and it was a beautiful experience um, just because there's a lot of history around these. And when I lived in Cedar City, I used to work as a coordinator for the Center for Diversity and Inclusion. Yes. I didn't even know that there was something that like marvelous and magical so close by. Um, and that's something that like we're trying to draw attention to, you know, we're, we're in one of the most beautiful states, like beautiful places in the world. Like people travel from far and wide to get to see us what we have like outside of our kitchen window. Right. <laughs> um, so that's something we definitely want people engaging with and, you know, talking about the importance and the value of the environment in all its different ways. You know, whether that's aesthetic, whether that's ecological, whether that's financial, economic, um, there's a lot of ways that. The environment is valuable to us as human beings, and it's about connecting to all those different ways. Um, this is random and a tidbit, but like <laughs> one of the events we did with Humanities in the Wild involved the scientists over in Logan, Utah, who talked about tuning rivers by moving the rocks in them because you can like 
hear the sounds and stuff like that. And there's like little magical things like that that are just like, wow, humans have figured that out. <laughs> and I'm so glad this guy spends so much time with that river that like he can make it play him music, essentially. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's what we're up to. And we're super excited for tonight to go check out the petroglyphs. And it's going to be a good time. Oh, I am also super, super excited for that event. Well, that is absolutely beautiful. I have never heard of tuning rivers. Right. So what a phenomenal opportunity you get to really like bring this knowledge to the community. Um, do you have any other like experiences that you would like to share with specific stories or guests or more about how you got connected with Bertram? Yeah, with Bertram. Um, oh, yes. That's what I was supposed to be addressing. Um, oh, no, we do we it all. <laughs> archaeologist Don Montoya, who works yeah. with a board over at Utah Humanities, and he was able to get us connected to Bertram because, of course, he's um, in Castle Valley, really close to Moab. And, of course, there's so many, like, beautiful things specifically in Moab, right? Like, huge tourist yes. destination. And, you know, um, I am not familiar with some of the context when it comes to, like, if you're seeing um, some rock imagery, like, what exactly it would mean. And I knew Don had that knowledge, so I reached out to him, and he said, I can do it from a scientific perspective as an archaeologist, but we're going to oh, wow. bring in Bertram to be able to give the cultural side. So we visited a couple of places like Bir um, Birthing Rock, Poison Spider, and we got to see this amazing rock imagery, and then there was the context kind of added to it, right? I feel wow. like sometimes as people who you know, are uninformed about that community, you yeah. see it and it's like, oh, maybe somebody was just walking by, decided to draw something, you know, like kind of like you do as a kid with like a crayon in the wall. But like, that's not the case for a lot of these. <laughs> There's like huge historical and cultural kind of background to a number yeah. of these sites. Some of them are sacred. And what's curious is I specifically remember, remember as we were going to Poison Spider is that as I was looking at it, there was somebody who you could tell had tried to like mimic it and make a similar mark. And wow. it just looked nothing like it, right? Like you could tell what the fake one was immediately. And that like shows is that like, yeah, and this also takes an intense amount of skill to figure out how to make these images stay on the rock for that long and how to make them have vibrant colors and stuff like that. Because you could be like, oh, that is a pale imitation of somebody who just visited this and decided to like, try to do it on a rock and it's like yeah not that easy like it just takes a lot of like cultural knowledge to be able to like produce um these sacred symbols and images that they use um so that's how i got connected with bertram and we've been staying tight ever since just because he's been such a great resource for um especially southern utah um we were able to um have him be a part of our paiute um webinar series that we were doing wow. over the summer um, and we brought him in um, to talk about some of the local plants in the area. Yeah. And it was magical because, you know, I don't I'm not a herbologist. Like, <laughs> I don't know that much about plants. When I lived in Cedar City, you know, I think red rock and the dryness is one of the things that you notice the most. For so, sure. like, I was like, OK, I looked up a hike online and it had some green things that said there was flowers. Hopefully we find some things where <laughs> Trump can identify. Right. Because I'm not yeah. sure what it's going to be like. And we get there and he starts naming off the uses for like everything oh. that we're seeing. Um, which is magical just because, you know, I, going through that, I see like maybe two different types of plants and I'm like, yeah, that's what right. I saw. It was green. But like all of these <laughs> traditional uses and, you know, of course, a multitude of multitude of plants um, that are there. And there's a lot of history um, of the uses and stuff like that for the local area that um, it takes bringing in somebody like Bertram to like preserve that knowledge and then pass it on. 
Oh, for sure. And some of the most phenomenal points that I think were made earlier in the Apex event is when Bertram was just naming off all of these things that plants can do. Like I even I wrote it down because I was so excited, just like how sage can like help you when you have bruised skin and how boiling green leaves can, you know, not only be like a physical cleanse, but a spiritual cleanse. So Bertram, when you're learning about all of these like individual herbs and individual plants, was that something you just picked up over time or was that something you really had to sit down and study? Um, it was being picked up over time. And then actually now in in my lifetime, you know, I'm realizing, you know, it's just one way to help out others. But uh, yes, it was, you know, learning, learning right. through life. And then again, being raised by my grandmother, it was just inadvertently teaching me and understanding how to prepare or which certain plants were edible or medicinal and so now, you know, it's a little bit more easier to do identifying. Uh, but, you know, nowadays, you know, with, you know, any type of uh, understandings, you know, there's books, publications, guidebooks. So, you know, there are simple ones to very complex ones. And, you know, yes. they'll go down to, you know, the scientific terms, you know, Latin names, you know, on, on the plants as well, common names. And then now, you know, with a lot of the indigenous and native cultures, you know, now they are yeah. also documenting in their own way with uh utilizing the language for language preservation as well and then still continuing with the younger generations to instill uh, the language and understand again what plants are are useful and how they are and how they heal and help people oh for sure and i that is so wonderful that you've continued to pass that on to the next generation because i totally feel the vibes from you that you are such a phenomenal teacher and a phenomenal speaker so when you're working um with people to kind of preserve that knowledge about herbalism what is that process like is it just more of a we go out together and we observe the plants or is it we really sit down and we talk about it um it can go either way you know however the energy however the people feel and then of course you know i always try to you know encourage you know remember things you know even though yeah we have technology as our cell phones our cameras but you know we have our own memory card in our brain you know in our head oh, I love that. you know we can touch we can feel we can scent we can taste it you know yeah. if it's the edible ones yeah but anyways that's that's <laughs> the way you know to do to do that you know and again with stones you know with the geology you know as i was sharing at the the apex you know there is the stones that are with healing and you know everybody's you know, understanding that, you know, each of the different varieties of stones, precious, you know, semi-precious, you know, they have their own healing properties as well. Oh, for sure. And that was another phenomenal point that you made. Um, With healing properties of stones, is that really individualistic for people? Like, how do you find like what works for you? Like, I noticed you have beautiful, beautiful turquoise on and that's, you know, native to your area. So kind of how do you find what works for you? Uh, Well, you know, just like, Turquoise in general, coming from the state of Arizona, there's to- so many varieties and styles. Yeah. Um, I would just say, you know, the turquoise was the ancestral gold, you know, in earlier yes. times and still taken in as that type of value. But, you know, again, for myself personally, you know, turquoise is definitely uh, helpful to have, you know, as you traverse when you travel, you know, abroad. Ooh. It's just like, you know, just like one of your protections, you know, protection blanket, you know, the good luck charm. Uh, but then definitely others will have, again, with the healings, you know, like maybe pink rose quartz or crystals, right. um, jade, tiger eye, you know, they, they all have it. And even with the natural ones like obsidian or right. um, pigments, you know, would, would have that or hematite would be other 
um, healing uh, elements of the stones or um, in different forms of pigmentation, crushing, pulverizing it also. So, you know, yes, you have different varieties of understandings how to utilize and, and have, you know, stones or the crushed portions. I mean, it's just a way of, you know, a learning there's yeah. nothing really, say, formal education, <laughs> but now, you know, that's coming out as well, you know, the, yeah. the herbology, ethnobotany, you know, yes. it's all in the combination of that, again, that ties in with, you know, we all are having this rebirth, renewing, you know, coming back out after all this, you know, isolation or self-quarantining, right. you know, it's just a way to come back anew, a new rebirth of realizations, contemplations, being with your families that now, you know, it's time to go back out again. So this is just, you know, again, one way to connect with nature or take these walks, you know, as I say, this is the hands-on training and experience that you get, you know, when you're out there. Oh, for sure. And that is absolutely like inspiring to be able to go out and actually have it right in front of you. So Jason, I was going to ask you, and since we're kind of talking about rocks in their areas, um, how, why did you decide specifically to get into geology? Was it walking around or seeing specific rocks? Uh, I, I grew up as the kind of typical outdoorsy kid for my area. Oh, great. And so I was always interested in the outdoors and I was always the kind of science nerd. So I guess it was inevitable that I would combine the two. Uh, but I didn't get into geology right away. And I, I'm almost embarrassed to admit how I changed my major into geology, but it was because of a movie. <gasps> no way. Which I movie? I don't know if I should advertise that oh I'm i think sure you should. my students are listening somewhere <laughs> going really is that really what's happening um i i started out as an engineering major okay. loved it uh, but i was home visiting family and was watching the discovery channel which was pretty much the only channel that was on in my house growing up <laughs> and nice. there was a documentary about yellowstone national park and right before that documentary though was a docudrama called super volcano and it came out just about 20 years ago, and it was a, a joint effort between the BBC and the Discovery Channel. And it was to um, – let's, let's look at what would happen if Yellowstone were to erupt to its full capacity right now. Whoa. And so they went through the entire process of monitoring the park, monitoring the, the volcano – uh, the United States Geological Survey, the National Park Service, uh, the the state and federal government, all of those interactions were accurate in the movie. I didn't know that at the time, but it was all very accurate. And uh, after that, they interviewed the real people that the characters were based on. And there was a guy being interviewed that had the the park, the big brimmed hat and the, the brown jacket oh, with the classic. badge. Yeah. And at the bottom of the screen, it said uh, Yellowstone Park Geologist. And that's when I learned that that was a job. <laughs> And said, that's what I'm going to do. And oh, wow. so I, I set about the journey to figure out how to study the biggest and baddest volcanoes on the planet <laughs> and um, and make that work. So I, I don't get to work for the Park Service. I do work with them a lot here for, uh, from SUU. We are the University of the Park, so we get to exploit that yes, relationship. Yes, we are. <laughs> um, but I do still study the biggest volcanoes, not Yellowstone specifically, but I still get to study the biggest volcanoes on the planet. So that's that's my journey to get here. 
Oh, that is so great. I just wanted to hear the different perspectives of both the spiritual side and connection with our earth from rocks and the scientific side. So thank you both so much for sharing. I think that is the perfect intro into our next break. And this song is Geology Rocks, as we know it all does. This is KSUU Thunder 91.1. High up on the mountain, looking down upon this earth All the treasures lying there, I wonder what they're worth People put a price on all the elements within All I know Geology rocks Geology rocks Geology rocks, rocks, rocks Geology rocks the mantle of the planet is replete With minerals and elements so deep Geologists are digging underneath our very feet For diamonds and gold and silver For burning like coal and petroleum Metals made of iron, copper and uranium Precious gems are sitting there like quartz and onyx stone Sing it again Geology rocks Geology rocks Geology rocks, rocks, rocks Geology rocks Sulfur, helium, chlorine Phosphates, zeolites, and clay The list is just so long that we could go all day With rubies and pyrite Some jasper and chrysolite
Welcome back, everyone, to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. That was Geology Rocks, and I just think that is so perfectly fitting for what we have been discussing here today. Um, we had a phenomenal opportunity to have science event here with the Apex Hour, and we've had so many phenomenal guests be able to come in and share their expertise and share their passions. Speaking of phenomenally passionate people, Willie, I would like to turn the time over to you to talk a little bit more about your experiences here with SUU. Willie worked here at our CDI, which is our Center for Diversity and, and Inclusion, which is obviously one of the best places to be on campus. So Willie, tell us a little bit about your experiences with SUU and how you came here. And yeah, so yeah. I had the blessing and privilege to come over to the Center for Diversity and Inclusion in fall 2018. And then I was able to stay for about a year um, before Utah Humanities dragged me away. It was heartbreaking <laughs> to leave the students. Um, but I got to work there, you know, doing programming and working with all the student clubs. And these students put in so much work throughout the year, putting in educational events to make people more aware of different cultural things, drawing on celebrational things. Um, and, you know, having things like, you know, the amazing Polynesian showcases that yes. they do. Um, and speaking of like these sort of events, I don't know if y'all know, but like this week is Native American Heritage Week. November is Native American Heritage Month. Um, and they had a whole lineup of events this week. One that you can still catch if you haven't been able to check them out is tomorrow in the living room from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. They're going to be doing a showcase. And typically what their showcase has involved in the past is musical performances, dancing performances, um, different traditional cultural things that they take the time to like explain and break down and if you haven't seen some of the dancing it is phenomenal um so i haven't been able to check out what they've been doing this year so i get to have it be a surprise oh, but i'm so super exciting. excited for that and really there's a big lineup of events coming um later this month on um, friday november 19th there's the annual miss native suu which if you haven't gotten to check that out it's always fun you get to um see a lot of beautiful traditional um, performances be done. Um, everything from stuff ranging to spiritual to fun. Um, so it's definitely a great opportunity to, you know, get closer to the folks who, you know, have been in this area for millennia um, and have <laughs> yes. been holding it down through, a, you know, everything that the centuries has have bought us. Um, so that's what um, we've been doing um, when I was in the Center for Diversity and Inclusion, and they're still holding it down, of course. And then I <laughs> I've had the joy of continuing to collaborate with them as well. So for the Humanities in the Wild, we were able to link it up with the CDI. Um, so hopefully we'll see some of their students coming through. And actually next week, I'm going to be here with a book called The Period Passport on Conquering Period Poverty, which yes. is like, you know, half the population goes through menstruation and not the entire population understands what is even happening. So it's about educating it's people on um, menstruation and on periods and stuff like that. And it's going to be great. We have an author coming in. Um, and that's going to be next Thursday at 11 from 6 to 8 p.m. in the church auditorium. Um, and what I love about the current role is that I'm able to come back to SUU, right? I'm able yes. to come back and bring folks like Bertram and be like, hey, you guys got to meet this guy. Um, <laughs> so he's going to tell you some really fun information about the history and culture over here um, ancestrally. And that's one of the blessings of later this afternoon. We're going to get to go to the Petroglyph Cave and have Bertram tell us what he sees and shares the knowledge that he has from his years of doing this work right yes. especially when you're looking at stuff that ancient um 
Um, having precise, like, you know, certainty is sometimes a little challenging, but um, we bring together the experts we have to talk about what culturally we can see has um, been maintained knowledge-wise throughout the generations, and also, yes, the impact it has on communities today. Um, and I think that's super important for us to remember here in Cedar City. You know, we got the Paiute Indian tribe of Utah right here in their reservation, um, and we have a whole bunch of history around us, which, you know, if you start listening and be open to it there's so many like cool <laughs> histories and yes um fun stories of resilience and also yes amazing cultural stories that you can take um learn from so yeah. that's what we're here to share um today and what we'll be sharing throughout when we come back so it's been super <laughs> exciting and it's the only thing that's made leaving suu be worth it is being able to come <laughs> back with these experiences for the students oh no i absolutely love that yeah everyone please make sure to check out the cdi you can find their website and of course their instagram to check out all the amazing events they have going on speaking of coming to suu jason how did you find suu and what led you to come here and stay here uh, my connection to SUU goes back uh, long before I even started working here. I, oh, wow. I was a student in college back in Missouri uh, studying geology, finally, after <laughs> watching a movie and changing my major. I love uh, it. I uh, joined the geology program as a student at a small university in Missouri, and a part of the curriculum there is a capstone six-week field course. Wow. And that's common to a lot of uh, programs around the country. And our six-week course was in Cedar City, Utah. Wow, and no way. So we drove from Missouri to Cedar City. I had never been to Utah. I had never heard of Cedar City. I had never <laughs> heard of SUU. Uh, but we stayed in the dorms, dorms that no longer exist, actually. They've been replaced wow. by newer dorms, thankfully. I think. <laughs> but, uh, they wouldn't put geology students in new dorms anyway. I think they, they didn't trust us. <laughs> but uh, we stayed uh, on campus here for, for six weeks and studied the local geology. And then I was fortunate enough to come back many times as a, a teaching assistant and then as an instructor for that field course over wow. the years. And um, when my time in grad school was finishing up and started looking mm -hmm. for jobs, I saw the position at SUU and thought, hey, I, I actually know where that place is now. Wow. Uh, and I know a lot about the geology. Uh, that seems like a good, good spot for me. So it all worked out. That is such a great connection. That's crazy that it's like a full circle moment. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's so great. Well, kind of speaking of like classrooms and traveling, Bertram, I know you get the opportunity to talk to so many people with what you do as a tour guide and your background in museums. What are some of your favorite parts of teaching and some of the experiences you've had doing that? Well, <clears throat> I would say like when I get repeat clients, you know, they'll be coming back out to Hopi or yeah, get invitations to go to other institutions, yeah. universities, colleges, and um when you're talking about coming back or full circle, <laughs> I actually do have a nephew here that's uh, oh. that's attending here at SUU, Kyle Sikakaku. And uh, as we were over there at the CDI, he was there. So oh, wow. he's uh, a part, or I think he's the president of the uh, Native American Student Association. Oh, that's so great. Uh, when I heard about NASA, and uh, the first thing that popped into to my mind was, you know, the, the, the space program. <laughs> right, <laughs> but right. Then, uh, when I heard of the acronyms, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, it sounds fitting for that too. So, yeah, he's the president for the Native American Student Association here at SUU. And then um, as a 
Willie was talking about the showcasing tomorrow. Yeah, um, him and his brother, uh, the Hopi uh, dance group will be uh, showcasing uh, tomorrow evening as right. well to, yeah. to uh, share one of the social dances of our Hopi people tomorrow evening. So, yeah, and then meeting other individuals and a Navajo lady that um, is south of our Hopi villages from Winslow, Arizona, and and uh, another individual from the First Mesa area from, from Hopi uh, was there. So, yeah, coming in that full circle, just meeting everybody. So, you know, it's just showing that our world is definitely small. <laughs> <laughs> All roads and lead back to SUU, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and no. I've, I've really enjoyed, you know, uh, how the campus looks and everything. It's my first time on the campus, actually. Wow. Even though being here in Cedar City before or back in June. But, yeah, yeah. it's a uh, really nice uh, uh, university that you have out here. Oh yeah, we love it. <laughs> no, that's so great. And I'm really glad we kind of get to talk a little bit about full circles because earlier, Bertram, you were making so many beautiful connections about, um, just the connections we have with other people and kind of creating your own energy. And I would love to hear all of your perspectives about, um, kind of about how you can, because especially with students and especially during stressful times, mm. it's really hard to center yourself. So any advice any of you have to <laughs> students like me or any students listening about kind of grounding yourself and creating your own energy? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, it's just like, you know, how they would, you know, generally, you know, mention, you know, find your own space, your happy space. Yeah. You know, that's one thing to do or, you know, now, you know, there's, you know, people that are into the meditating or doing the yoga Oh yeah. Tai Chi. I mean, you know, there's there there is stuff out there that can help with that stress. And even when I was a college student, oh yeah, definitely rest. Getting that <laughs> sleep because you are up on those late hours, you know, really hitting the books, staying up late, trying to cram every all that information. But it's you know, it's just where you can find your happy space. Yeah. Things that make you content. Even though maybe others might give recommendations and that maybe that helps with others, but it might not help with you. So you have differences on what can get you content, what can get you relaxed, what can make you feel at ease with all yeah. of that. And just definitely not overthinking, even though you are Ooh. overthinking of things, or, you know, <laughs> how you're going to get by the, the exam or what kind of grade you're going right. to get. You know, that everything comes up with what you're all overthinking. So, you know, just, you know have a little limitations of not overthinking or just have the one day of that break or whatever, you know, just to not do anything. That's mm. just another thing. Take a break. You know, Take a break. I love that. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> so for me, being up here in Cedar City for the three days, yeah, that's that's my break. Oh, that's that great. Give yourself here. a break. Yeah. <laughs> well, Willie, what about you? Kind of like with your connections and you've worked a lot in the college sphere. What do you recommend for students to kind of bring it down and um, kind of center yourself? Yeah, totally relate to that. This is definitely that part of the semester where everybody's stressed. <laughs> I remember November and December being that time period, you know, Very you got your true. finals coming up, big projects and stuff like that. Um, I feel like I'm going to end up repeating a lot of what Bertram said. Rest, That's sleep, great, yeah. make sure you're eating, drink mm. water, um, move around. If you yes, spend all your time like staring at the textbook or the mm. computer screen. <laughs> Um, I feel like sometimes there's this myth we get in college that like the only way to succeed is to like to power through like and do all nighters and stuff like that. True. And really yeah. like you can live your whole life that way or you can start finding balance now and 
continue to live just with that balance. Mm-hmm. Um, there's sometimes this culture of just like, you know, it's like, oh, I sleep less than you sleep. And, you know, that makes me cooler. And that's like, no, very it true. It makes you tired. <laughs> that's all that makes you. Um, so find your balance and whatever that may be for you, whether it's dancing or music or, you know, if you just got to tune out with your like video games for a while. It's important for everybody to have that space where they can process, unpack, you know, think about the stuff that happens to you because it's a crazy world out there. Sometimes you got to just process. Oh, <laughs> so, yes. Like definitely make sure to take time to do those things. And, you know, things will come out the way that they need to. And, you know, there's the hustling that you have to do to get ahead, but there's no point of getting ahead if when you get there, you're going to be miserable. So, Oh, I love that. Oh, I 100% agree. Well, Jason, I know you've done a ton of school. So was there anything you ever did to kind of like center yourself or distract yourself even? Uh, I, I've always used the outdoors as my mm. therapy. That's so great. Yeah. yeah, going back to even as a kid, like I was saying, I was the, the outdoor, uh, science nerd, even as a kid. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've, I've always used the outdoors as my, my safe space, my quiet place and my, my, uh, my opportunity to recharge and being in Southern Utah, it's a great opportunity to find a place to do that. Um, that may not work for everyone, and it's certainly like Bertram and Willie were saying: find what works best for you. And that that certainly worked really well for me. And that being said, there's scientific studies that being in nature actually helps for like the vast majority of people. Yeah. Even little things like just hearing running water somewhere yeah. can like make mm-hmm. a phenomenal difference on just how like calm people are. Which makes sense because yeah. like water means like we're not going to die, right? We have like a water <laughs> source. We are safe. Like you know that's yeah. something, especially in a desert environment, that has a very beautiful musical beautiful chime to it and um, don't just download an app that plays a water sound go oh out it's and not find the it. same it's go not out the and same find it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no that's so great well that is such great advice um especially for me as a student here so thank you all so much speaking of nature we are going to go to our last song break and this is the bird song Young, 
Well, welcome back in, everyone. We are just about to the end of the Apex Hour, and I am so sad that these hours have to end. And so we will be ending with the final question that is asked every single week to all of our guests. And that question is, what is lighting your fire this week? What is turning you on? And, and it, this can be anything related to what we've been talking about or just anything at all that's been lighting our fire for our guests. So, Jason, we'll start with you. What is lighting your fire this week? I'm going first, huh? Uh... <laughs> I, I will say, as a member of a brand new department at SUU and as the chair of the department, I, I have a lot of fires going. <laughs> so, uh, it's a little bit distracting and even a little bit overwhelming. And going back to what we were talking about right before that last break is uh, finding some time to, to get to myself and uh, recharge a bit. What's lighting my fire right now is uh, that I'm running my first ever half marathon on, on wow. Saturday morning. Wow. Oh, that's um, amazing. I'm, I'm a little nervous. I think I'm in over my head. I'm hoping to finish, but uh, it's through Snow Canyon State Park. So it'll be oh, a chance so be for me to, to reset and recharge while being completely exhausted. Yeah. Oh. And for the couch potatoes, like how much is a half marathon? Uh, 13.1 miles. Holy cow. That's, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is absolutely phenomenal. I wish you the best of luck. I'm sure you'll be I great. I will need it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Bertram, what is lighting your fire this week? Oh, I've just been enjoying to come out here again to Cedar City. I've uh, been enjoying to share, you know, what happened today at the Apex and the different, you know, it wasn't just a ethnobotany about the plants, but just little tidbits of other you know, information that I shared with everybody. Yeah. The reaction of how some of the students, you know, came up to me and inquired some more questions. Uh, I uh, just, um, I guess the main thing that would be lighting my fire is this week is having this break time to be out here in Cedar City and then just, you know, to, to have my friend along with me as well to, to come up and visit this area, this part of Utah. Oh, yeah. I am so glad you have a break and you get to be with us. That is such a treat for us. So thank you so much. Awesome. Well, what is lighting your fire this week? You know, I have a tia visiting me from California, my tia Paz, and she's bringing all her energy and her arepas and oh. her like cooking skills. And it's been a happy time over <laughs> at the Paloma household. We've had a lot of really good cooking and a lot of aunties just getting down and telling stories. So I think that's what's kind of burning my fire this week, along with a lot of other things like just a couple of minutes ago um i guess it was last hour bertram was like meeting family members in the cdi yeah. and that's something that like that i was... hadn't planned on i was like yeah we can meet some students but i didn't know there was going to be like blood ties and stuff yeah. like that but, yeah. there's been a lot of things to choose from but i think my tia takes the cream oh yeah well she has to i mean come on <laughs> awesome well thank you all so much for your time and sharing your insights about our land and thank you all so much for tuning into the apex hour and we will see you next week 
Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. Come find us again next Thursday at 3 p.m. for more conversations with the visiting guests at Southern Utah University and new music to discover for your next playlist. And in the meantime, we would love to see you at our events on campus. To find out more, check out suu.edu slash apex. Until next week, this is Lynn Vartan saying goodbye from the Apex Hour here on Thunder 91.1.